your show now, so what's it gonna be? Cause people will tune in, how many train wrecks do we need to see? Before we lose touch, oh, and we thought this was low, well it's bad, getting worse, oh, where'd all the good people go? I've been changing channels, I don't see them on the TV show. Where'd all the good people go? We got heaps and heaps of what we saw. They got this and that with a rattle attack test and one, two. Man, what you gonna do? Bad news, missed you's got too much to lose. Give me some truth now, whose side are we on? Whatever you say, turn on the boob too. I'm in the mood to obey, so leave me astray. And by the way, now, where'd all the good people go? I've been changing channels, I don't see them on the TV show. Where'd all the good people go? We got heaps and heaps of what we sow. the chair. I don't think there's going to be room for any snacks or anything, but um, I'd like to share something with you that I've been looking into, and the reason is this, because I'm interested in recording what psychopaths are all about, meaning how they think and come up with some of these maneuvers, and what are some of those maneuvers, right? So, because I've been working on the deal with the embryos and where they're getting the babies from and all that stuff and something pretty significant dawned on me. So I'll share that with you today. And here's the thing. Um, I've done a lot of work into gaslight. I'll go into that later in a segment or so. And it's really not about, it, it's a form of gaslighting, but it's called plausible deniability. And plausible deniability um, came to my mind. I had heard the term but I didn't really know it was a thing, right? Because um, in looking into this embryo business, I kept thinking to myself, um, because, and I'll get more into this later obviously, but here's the deal. In the embryo business, the United States is considered the gold standard for IVF and embryos and the surrogate business, right? I mean, it is so gold standard that people order babies to be had here by surrogates and they literally, like Ch wealthy Chinese people, will order a couple babies to be had by a surrogate and it's a business transaction. They send somebody to collect the baby and, and it's a whole really horrible, horrible thing. But So I kept thinking, how? How'd they get to be this gold standard? Because 
for, I don't know, I've been in these groups over on Facebook, these embryo groups, and it is so confusing as far as what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on. They don't know about these embryos. There's this person called Embryo Man who, it's just, it's just bizarre, right? And I kept thinking, this doesn't add up because how can I be looking and researching the embryo business in, in fact, what's going on with the embryo business in this country? And it just wasn't connecting with this idea that this country was the gold standard because it didn't make sense until it dawned on me. How did the United States get to be the gold standard? They did it by using this exact technique called plausible deniability. And that was my light bulb moment. So then I thought the term plausible deniability shot to my brain, so I looked it up. Well, here's what they did was that they don't do studies. They did the exact same thing in setting up the information about psychopaths. What they did was they set up Robert Hare, as, who's considered the world's leading expert about psychopaths, to claim that he has identified what psychopaths are. Well, I can tell you that Bob Hare is a psychopath and transgender person himself. I'm saying that in all honesty, right? I've met the person. I know this for a fact. But what I didn't know for a fact were the other people beneath this structure, right? So I never could figure out how he got to be this leading expert in psychopaths when he only did one prison study. Well, that was because they wanted to avoid having any known studies in the outside of the prison population. That would mean all the psychopaths running around in charge of things, right? So they used the setup, and he was the, he is their person who created this idea in everybody's brains that psychopaths really just mean serial killers. So they left off doing any studies. So what they're doing with the embryo business is the exact same pattern. What they're doing is this, is they can, with a straight face, they can say, if you say, well, I wonder if having embryos at 35 could be dangerous. They could say, well, there are no known issues. Known issues, right? How are they saying that word known? Well, they're saying that word known because they have never done these studies. So in fact, they can with a straight face say there are no known studies. And that's how I could go on for the next 20 years giving you examples of how this entire structure has been set up by this idea and things that we think are way more organized than they are, right? Just like how they sold that transhuman thing, how they sold that chin thing. We have gone along and made a tremendous amount of assumptions that things are running along and doing just great, right? I think we're living in a world of people who are doing nothing but undeniable as far as thinking things are plausible, right? So anyways, because remember, first thing they had to get us to not engage in was our own instincts, right? We needed, They needed us to be that wolf by the water who we don't, our instincts get eroded out of us so we don't notice somebody coming up behind us when we're drinking water by the lake, right? We don't notice the wolf is coming up behind us. So yeah, so the first thing they had to erode was our national instinct. So to a lot of people, it's, it's a really a very good tool because it makes sense to them if they only engage for a sentence or two, right? Like if you only engage for a sentence or two over this latest scam of this um, bill they just passed as far as um, to provide solutions to climate change. Well, it, it's, it had nothing to do with climate change. What it did was open up more national parks and stuff to drilling. <laughs> you know, all that talking about Biden in a talk I did about, um, you know, the fact that all this fake car stuff and everything. Well, you know, he's there talking about they want to put in solar and wind. Well, the whole thing in this new law they just passed, they have to drill on public land before they can do the solar and wind. So it basically was a big giveaway to the people in the fossil fuel industry that they claim that they're against, right? How they do that? Well, by a very simple headline that the majority of people have concluded that this is about reduction. Well, there's nothing about reduction in there unless you're looking at, oh, I don't know, they say that senior citizens 
will start getting credits for lower drug pills prices. You kind of kind of wonder why is it taking them all this time to think about lower prices, right? But anyway, so the bottom line is these lower prices are on a select number of drugs. These lower prices won't kick in for years. So when you write headlines, you get this whole plausible deniability thing going. So I'm interested in this for a whole lot of reasons, okay? And when I started looking into it, I had no idea that the term had actually been coined by the CIA, who also coined the term conspiracy theory. I talked about that in some other show, probably has CIA in the headlines. But anyway, so yeah, they coined conspiracy theory, and they also made this term pop their plausible deniability. And to the CIA, it's the act of withholding information from senior officials to protect their higher-ups in the event the information becomes public. Whether the information is was actually withheld was actually withheld or not matters little in court if there's no proof to the contrary. So if you can't provide what they call a smoking gun, then it just didn't happen, right? Well it might seem like a minor tweak, the CIA's definition puts blame on subordinates. This blame swap this, this blame swap alleviates pressure on more senior officials. More people expect superiors to be held accountable for the actions of the subordinates. See, here again, we assume a lot of these things take place, right? We assume that there's correct reporting in census reports. We've made a lot of assumptions along the way, and I'm here to tell you they are absolutely bad assumptions, okay? Um, it also applies if an implication was made that spurred an illegal or unethical actions. An example would be a sinister comment in a suspicious tone, followed by an equally suspicious exaggerated wink. That is providing this the superior that is providing the superior can write it off as a misunderstanding. They have this way of doing business with a wink, right? So you suggest something and you see if other people are gonna by along, right? This is basic criminal activity 101, right? And however, in cases where someone generally didn't know something was happening, they can't reasonably be held accountable for the other person's actions. Regardless of management practices and chains of command, if someone really doesn't want you to know something, they're really just not going to tell you, said Ollie North. Ollie North, you can look it up. It was the whole deal with trading arms, the Iran-Contra deal. He was trading arms, and they couldn't pin it on anybody because he was some renegade. Well, that's a perfect example of what we're talking about today, deniability, right? He did all these acts, not going to go into all of them right now, but he did all of these acts which would be deemed to be murderous, illegal, and all kinds of other self-serving things. But it was with the protection of the authorities is how these things really work out, right? And then they will hold hearings and act like, hey, how'd this happen? So anyway, that is what plausible deniability is. And that is really the key that runs the clock here, right? What better thing to get? Murder everybody. You know, for years I used to say that they're hiding in plain sight, right? And then I need to revise that thing. Because actually, it's more than just eugenics. Because the files I'm working on that got me to wonder about this plausible stuff we're really been going under what I would term, it's more than eugenics, it's really a human experimentation is what's been going on with all of us. So, yeah, there's just a lot to these words and how to identify what they're doing, which I find interesting. So, yeah, um, plausible deniability. And I would suggest that if that has become your thing, you might consider, you know, becoming aware of that and thinking about... Does it really help your life to run around denying things and be sneaky and crafty over things? I found that, gee, it seemed like a lot of work. So, um, and I'll close, in the closing, I'll talk about um, when I got into the Ramsey's computer and just, 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 just lying about that stuff and doing this. I was doing this plausible denial myself and when I did that thing. So, yeah, it created a big whirlwind for me. A lot of, once you start lying, I mean, it becomes very complicated. But remember, these people are professional liars. This is what evil does. They do this for a living to try to trick the rest of us. So, and it has to do with their thing about magic because if they feel like they warned us about something and then go ahead and stick the knife in real hard, well, we've been warned. So what exactly did we expect, right? 
So that's why they warn us in all these different ways. So yeah, just be thinking of ways that plausible deniability has worked through really, I think, is the key to how this whole system has worked. And it has allowed the people who also want to deny reality because it gives the people who want to hide from the truth something to glom onto, right? Because if you don't want to face something, you're going to believe the lies that are being put in front of you by the media and whoever their people are, right? So that's how it all works. One big circle of deception. I told about this place. Two words, Mr. President. Plausible deniability. I'd like to talk about words. Words are very powerful because that's how we draw images of different things. And if you'll start to notice, they use words that deny real accountability with things like calling them natural disasters, climate change. And also, they use words in different ways. Like, go look at the Daily Mail and look at one of these celebrities doing something. Just pick one, whatever one of them out, okay? And just look at how they use words to describe themselves. Beautiful, statuesque, charming. <laughs> so, it's all about, and this thing with, that I'm talking about today, this denial, plausible deniability, it's all about the marketing, okay? It's how they market these things. And I'd like to, now I'll talk about a few terms because we get to learn a few new terms today, which is great. So I've done several shows about gaslighting. Gaslighting is really a pattern of behavior as I see it, okay? And it's usually intentional. It's designed to make someone question their own reality, memories, or experiences. So when you look at gaslighting in a relationship, the thing you want to look for is uh, patterns of things. Like, do you find yourself uh, explaining that, no, you're not really too sensitive and this was really how it happened. But anyways, it didn't happen this way. So, yeah, I've, I've got two segments on gaslighting on YouTube and also here on audio. So, anyways, I see gaslighting as more of an intentional behavior, but this other thing is intentional also, okay? But gaslighting is a way of diminishing someone's sense of reality or denying their experiences as a way of helping the gaslighter save themselves. So um, anyway, so another word that we'll be learning today, kids, is Aesopian language. And that is spelled A-E-S-O-P-I-A-N language. And later in the in the segment here I'll be talking about some examples of this Aesopian language, okay? Is, is communications that com convey an innocent meaning to outsiders but hold a concealed meaning to inform members of a conspiracy or underground movement. For example, if person X is known for exposing secrets in an organization, the organization leader announces that any members who have dirty talking habits will be dealt with to warn person X. It refers to an ancient Greek fabulous Aesop. This Greek person Aesop, okay. The term Aesopian language was first used by the 19th century Russian writer Mikhail Strosendin to describe the writing technique he began using later in his career, which he compared to Aesop's fables. We also had Aesop's fables using the same word. His purpose was to satirize the social ills of the time, but evade the harsh censorship of the late Tsarist Russia, of which he was a particular target. So they use this Aesopian language, okay? Um, they use, they said, they described it as a um, technique of writers under Soviet censorship. So yeah, it, it's just a way that they word things. If I come up with a better explanation later, I'll get to back to it. But anyway, so let's look at some of the history of it. I, I put together my little timeline here. The term probability is 
goes back to U.S. President Harry Truman's National Security Council paper from June the 18th, 1948, which defined covert operations as all activities which are conducted or sponsored by this government against hostile states or groups or to support or in support of friendly states or groups, but which are so planned and executed that any U.S. government responsibility for them is not evident to unauthorized persons, and that if uncovered, the U.S. government can plausibly disclaim any responsibility for them. So they found this out technically in 1948 under some papers that Harry Truman had said, okay. Um, also, I found a thing in 1954, there were training files of the CIA covert operation called PB Success for the 1954 coup in Guatemala, and it described plausible deniability in that paper also. So, and that was according to a National Security Archive, also known as the NSA. Among the documents found in the training files of Operation PB Success and declassified by the agency, so this thing got declassified, okay, because it happened in 1954, it was written about it. So it was declassified by the agency, did the CIA document title, A Study of Assassination, a how-to guidebook in the art of political killing. The 19-page manual offers detailed descriptions of the procedures, instruments, and implementation of assassination. The manual states that to provide plausible denial, no assassination instructions should ever be written or recorded. So right there they say it when they're pulling this 1954 coup by the CIA. The CIA, if you remember, um, was originally the, um, oh, what was the SSO, and then, I don't know, I think they became the Pinkertons and the SS over in Germany. I mean, a lot of SSs in this deal, right? So, um, so yeah, that's the CIA. The CIA is also, if you haven't caught on already, different groups, you know, Hamas, all, all the different groups that you see, Al-Qaeda, um, Black Lives Matter, those are all CIA operations, basically, right? There was another paper I found that was declassified in 1977. It was declassified from the National Archives. Oh, and it's now located in the National Archives, okay. And this was during the Eisenhower administration. It was into a more specific NSC, 5412-2, called Covert Operations. And NSC 5412 was declassified in 1977 and is located, so you can go look for yourself at the National Archives if you can get in there. <laughs> the expression plausible deniable was first used publicly by the CIA director Alan Dulles. So, but it's also considered to be an older term, but let's not split hairs. I'm just kind of going through kind of a timeline here when they cook this stuff up. Um, Um, in the 1980s, the Soviet KGB ran a thing called Operation Inferkitkin, I-N-F-E-K-T-I-O-N, also called Operation Denver. And this, this came out of some papers, too. And I, I pulled this one because of, you'll, you'll see here in a second. <laughs> okay, this operation, Operation Denver, which is known from the 80s, Soviet KGB, that would have been um, early Putin, right? Um, which utilized the East German Stasi, East German Stasi and Soviet-affiliated press to spread the idea that HIV-AIDS was an engineered bioweapon. The Stasi acquired the Stasi acquired plausible deniability on the operation by covertly supporting biologist Jacob Siegel, whose stories were picked up by international press, including numerous bourgeois, newspaper, bourgeois newspapers, such as the Sunday Express. Publications in third-party countries were then called as the originators of the claims. 
Meanwhile, Soviet intelligence obtained plausible deniability by using the German Stasi in the disinformation operation. Well, German Stasi. Why do we keep ending up East German Stasi? I don't know what that means. I'll have to get back to that because it means Germany, right? Okay, so another term we're looking for here. So yeah, so we have several instances of what could clearly be called this plausible deniability, right? Of course, I found it interesting that in 1980, the Soviets were accusing people of using a bioweapon. My guess would be the bioweapon, the HIV, was not just a wild accusation. <laughs> so, the, they also use it in these different ways where, that I found that they go around accusing one and accusing the other, right? I've talked about this in the past as far as that... Um, you know, the Wuhan military march, they're marching around and they get in a fight with the uh, Fort Detrick people and then Fort Detrick is blaming the Wuhan lab as far as releasing the thing and round and round they go, right? Well, my view still remains that this all very, very likely originated out of Fort Detrick here in the United States. So anyway, so yeah, so they, what they do is they plant things in the press to make things um, not seem reliable or point them, in, point them in a certain slanted direction. That's how they all work together. You got the press, you got the, you got the cops. Everybody works in a big fat circle, right? Circle of deception. The press, the politics, all these people. Okay, so here's another term. It's a term called dog whistle. You might have heard that. It's the use of coded or suggestive language in political messaging to garner support from a political group without provoking opposition. The concept is named for ultrasonic dog whistles, which are audible to dogs but not humans. Dog whistles use language that appear normal to the majority but communicate specific things to intended audiences. They are generally used to convey messages on issues likely to provoke controversy without attracting negative attention. Also, the term they use now is being shady, right? <laughs> now that's the whole point, right? All these people are shady against each other, and they're all lying. Um, there is this person, William Sapphire, who said the term dog whistle, in reference to politics, may have been derived from its use in the field of opinion polling. Sapphire quotes this person who was polling for the Washington Post as writing in 1988, subtle changes in question wording sometimes produce remarkably different results. Researchers call this the dog whistle effect. Respondents hear something in the question that researchers do not. So yeah, they use those terms and it came there, it was identified, these things are not that old, in a 2006 book called Voting for Jesus. Christian and Politics in Australia. This academic, Amanda Lowry, writes that the goal of the dog whistle is to appeal to the greatest possible number of electors without alienating the smallest possible number. She uses an example politicians choosing broadly appealing words such as family values, which have, ex which have extra resonance for Christians while avoiding overt Christian moralizing that might be a turnout for non-Christian voters. This political theorist from Australia, Robert Gooden, argues that the problem with dog whistling is that it undermines democracy. Yeah, well, <laughs> okay. Um, the term was first picked up in Australian politics in the mid-1990s, dog whistling and was frequently applied to the political campaign of John Howard. Throughout his 11 years as Australian Prime Minister, John Howard, in particular his fourth term, was accused of communicating messages appealing to anxious Austri Australian voters using code words such as un-Australian, mainstream, and illegals. One notable example was the Howard government's message on refugee arrivals. His government's tough stance on immigration was popular with voters, but was accused of using the issue to additionally send veiled messages of support to voters with race, racist leanings, while maintaining plausible deniability 
by avoiding overtly racist language. Another example was the publicity of the Australian citizenship test in 2007. It has been argued that the test may appear reasonable at face value, but is really intended to appeal to those opposing immigration from particular geographic regions. And they've also have been developing words as headlines. For example, everything becomes keywords, right? So they're doing titles of things to elicit an idea like this latest bill they did called the uh, Inflation Act, right? Nothing to do with inflation, but the majority of people now no longer really um, understand beyond a few words is how I'll politely put this, okay? So headlines of 10 words can also sell a very distorted message. So a couple more things here. Let me see. Let me pick this up on the next next segment about this stuff because I have some more specific examples of plausible deniability. There's a place I long to be where the air is wild and free. It's a little haven just for me. I can let my hair down and be me. Just a smile for a start and it only takes a spark to begin the fire in your heart. Would you agree? Hello, listener. This is Hachi. I hope you are enjoying the show. We would like you to consider supporting us so as to keep giving you interesting contents. Take a time out to check out the support page on the website. And please consider making a kind donation. We would appreciate any little support. Thank you. Why the hell wasn't I told about this place? Two words, Mr. President. Plausible deniability. Okay, let's talk about some examples of plausible deniability. And what I suggest that you might consider doing is thinking about, have you used this tactic yourself in the past? So, plausible deniability is someone who also who actively avoids gaining certain knowledge of facts because it benefits that person not to know it. As an example, a lawyer may suspect that facts exist that would hurt his case, but decides not to investigate the issue because if he has actual knowledge, the rules of ethics might require him to reveal the facts to the opposing side. Another example of plausible deniability is someone who actively avoids gaining certain knowledge of facts because it benefits that person not to know. I have used this technique myself and I find that lying and sneaking around is incredibly time consuming, right? So that's why I probably decided not to become a psychopath and have a life of crime because um, I used it when I was um, trying to figure out who the Ramseys were during the John Bonet Ramsey case, and I used it to um, gain access to the Ramseys' computers to verify who they were. And I used it in several things. I used it, first of all, to gain some knowledge from somebody who I knew who would would know specifically how to get into a server, for example. But I actively did not mention to this person that I had this goal of going and hacking into the Ramsey's computer. I left that part out of my question, right? I also, when I, um, I was engaged with two other people to get into their computers, their server, and I actively went out of my way to not know a lot of things that were going on, right? So I think that we use this technique if we're getting sneaky in line because I view it as one of their favorite things to do because it actually gives them that appearance of um, innocence. And if you want to know a great example of this, go read the chapter of my book about um, the corporate one, Bill, toward the end, and he talks about a, just a zinger of a case. I think I talk about it in that gaslighting show, but 
how he actually set people up to confirm something that they really actually did not hear, they only saw it. So this whole thing about this deniability is obviously quite interesting to me. So so it refers also refers to circumstances where a denial of responsibility or knowledge of wrongdoing cannot be proved as true or untrue due to lack of evidence proving the allegations. And this is what I used to find in all of the true crime stories that I used to be so engaged with, that um, this is the first um, step usually to um, distance yourself from a crime, right? Supposedly the killer um, claims that they were on a plane in some other part of the country and they produced the plane ticket to the detectives to prove they weren't there. Well, that is the most obvious case of this denial process, right? is they use this as a trick to, you, you commit the crime, but you've already figured out a way that to, to claim that you were somewhere else. Well, that is exactly what we're talking about here, okay? So, um, but actually, it's often used because most of us, you know, I've admitted my little adventure with crime with getting into people's computers, but you need to also put things into perspective. The 90s, everybody was hacking computers all over the place. My own forum got hacked a couple of times. Hacking was just kind of the thing that went on. <laughs> so, and also, I did it with full knowledge that there were not really that many laws on the books, right? So, yeah, when you when you start to become a do um, well, I don't know shady shady things like getting to people's servers and stuff. You have to think like a criminal. Well, I would find being a criminal to be quite exhausting personally. But anyway, so. Um, because in the end, everybody found out that it was me, right? Because that's how these things work sometimes. So yeah, plausible refers to circumstances where a denial of responsibility or knowledge of wrongdoing can now be proved as true. Okay, so um, it's often used in reference to situations where high-ranking officials deny responsibility. And now we know all high-ranking officials are basically psychopaths, right? So this is why I'm, of course, interested in this, because this is their technique. And having used it once or twice myself in my life, um, well, wouldn't be for me. Wouldn't be for me. It seemed like it would be too complicated. But anyway, so it's re to deny responsibility for or knowledge of wrongdoing by lower-ranking officials. So they get lower-ranking people to do things. And we do this in all kinds of ways. For example, when I worked at Intel in the marketing group, management, your boss would typically have you sign off pay the bill when you're out drinking <laughs> because that way he was the one who approved your bill, right? So he'd get his subordinates to do these things. So this deniability stuff really goes through our whole culture in a lot of ways. So, okay, it was used, coined by the CIA in the early 1960s to describe the withholding of information from senior officials to protect them from repercussions if illegal or unpopular activities became public knowledge. Yeah. So, I'm going to just talk about a couple of these little so-called investigations because hopefully it will inspire you to look a little bit further. But Okay, so the word came up, I think I talked about this a little bit in another segment, but well, whatever, here we go again. So, anyway, so there was this U.S. Senate committee, and it was called the Church Committee. <laughs> Church Committee in 1974 to 1975, okay? You can find a lot of stuff about the Church Committee. It goes on forever, ever and ever and ever. But anyway, let me just give you a recap of how I understand it to have happened. So the Church Committee conducted an investigation of the intelligence agencies. That would be the CIA. In the course of the investigation, it was revealed that the CIA, going back to the Kennedy administration, had plotted the assassination of a number of foreign leaders, including Cuba's Fidel Castro. But the president himself, who clearly supported such actions, was not to be directly involved so that he could deny knowledge of it. That was given the term plausible denial. Non-attribution to the, I'm sorry if that didn't bang your ear off. Um, I don't know how people sit around and drink coffee and read scripts, but I'm trying, I'm trying to have a cup of coffee. There was a non-attribution to the United States for covert operations, and it was the original and principal purpose of the so-called doctrine, plausible denial. 
evidence before the committee clearly demonstrates that this concept designed to protect the United States and its operatives from the consequences of disclosures has been expanded to mask decisions of the president and his seat. Yeah, of course, it's completely expanded to mask the decisions, right? Those key words, that's all you need to know about. Okay, um, plausible denial involves the creation of power structures and chains of command, and chains of command loosely and informally enough to be denied if necessary. The idea was that the CIA and later other bodies could be given controversial instructions by powerful figures, including the president himself, but that the existence and true source of those instructions could be denied if necessary if, for example, an operation went disastrously wrong and it was necessary for the administration to disclaim responsibility. And yeah, there was this act I'll give you if you want to know more about how they supposedly put a stop to this stuff. Just knock it off. Stop this stuff. So, those are the famous words of Hillary Clinton after the 2008 um, debacle when so many people were robbed and everything of their homes and stuff. She claimed that she went to Wall Street and said, okay, we have. So after all this business with the CIA and stuff and the papers getting disclosed, they cooked up this Hughes-Ryan Act. Hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S dash Ryan Act of 1974. That sought to put an end to plausible denial by requiring a person a, president find, a presidential finding for each operations to be important to national security. Uh, anyway, here's what they do. They have this Intelligence Oversight Act of 1980 required for the Congress to be notified of all covert operations. <laughs> but you have to realize the entire structure of the entire U.S. government and society is run by plausible denial, right? So, yeah, why do you think we have... Um, so many different teams and stuff, right? Every four years, this team can throw out the last team and deny that they had anything to do with it. Okay. Um, so, I talked earlier about this church committee. Um, they conceded that to provide the United States with plausible denial in the event that the anti-Castro plots were discovered, presidential authorizations might have been substantial subsequently obscured. And they also declared that whatever the extent of this knowledge, Presidents Eisenhower, Kennedy, and Johnson should bear the ultimate responsibility for the actions of their subordinates. That was according to the New York Times, and that would have been in the 80s. So yeah. And here's, I explained earlier what this ACOP in language means. So we'll have a little um, lesson here, kids, on how we use it in construct with these people. So I was looking into all this language stuff, okay, and I found this quote that said, CIA officials deliberately use ACLP and language in talking to the president and others outside the agency. This guy testified, Richard Helms, that he did not want to embarrass a president or sit around an official table talking about killing or murdering. The report found this, this is a word that I don't understand, circumulation reprehensible, saying failing to call dirty business by its rightful name may have increased the risk of dirty business being done. The committee suggested that the system of command and control may have been deliberately ambiguous to give presidents a chance for plausible denial. So yeah, so what they're saying here was that this person testified that they, they use these different languages because they didn't want to embarrass a president or sit around and talk about killing people. So yeah, um, this country does really not much more than murder people, right? So they have little winks and nods, right? So they found it distasteful. So anyway, so um, what made the responsibility difficult to pin down in retrospect was a sophisticated system of institutionalized vagueness and circum circumulation whereby no official, and particularly president, had to officially endorse questionable activities. 
Unsavory orders were rarely committed to paper, and what record the committee found was shot, was shot through with references to removal, the magic button. With references to the words removal, the magic button, I don't know what that means, and the last resort beyond the last resort. Thus, the agency might at times have misread instructions from on high, but it seemed more often to be causing a burden of presidents who knew there were things they didn't want to know. Okay. Then there's this example I found, which I found to be real interesting. Always, always try to look at how these things get started, right? And this is completely out of order in my timeline. But anyway, so there's this interesting character named uh, from the 19th century, Charles Babbage, B-A-B-B-A-G-E. Charles Babbage will keep you reading for quite a long time. It's fascinating how Charles Babbage gets into this picture. And he was actually how this thing all got started. So who was Charles Babbage? Charles Babbage, in this 19th century piece that I found, he described the importance of having a few simply honest men on a committee who could be temporarily removed from the deliberations when a peculiarly delicate question arises, so that one of them could declare truly, if necessary, that he never was present at any meeting in which even a questionable course had been proposed. <laughs> so, yeah, this Babbage guy set it up early on to stack the deck with a few honest people in the deck that everybody would perceive as being honest who could actually verify the crimes of the rest of them, right? How does this sound familiar today? Well, exactly right. They've, they've developed this team of others to help them in their crimes because there's really not that many of them. They've just been busy, busy recruiting a lot of people to buy into their little money game thing, but not going to go there right now. So Babbage was instrumental in founding the Royal Astro Astronomical Society in the 1820s. We keep going back to that 1820s. So what were some interesting things about Charles Babbage? Well, <laughs> I love these backstories. Charles Babbage once lowered himself into a volcano. He baked himself at 265 degrees Fahrenheit to observe the effect of heat on the human body. He also wrote a book on how to cook on the moon. Okay, Charles Babbage, he created the first mechanical computer, which later it led to different design. This was the reason why he is called the father of the computer, this guy who, who cooked up this clever stunt <laughs> to put a couple honest people in the room. Gee, and after all, I've been talking about Silicon Valley. Just, is just the mafia reinvented? It certainly seems like the evidence is stacking in this direction. So he was also a mathematician, an engineer, a politician, a professor, a writer, an inventor, a cryptographer, a man about town, a founder of scientific organizations, and an expert on industry. Charles Babbage was a genius. <laughs> Charles Babbage was a genius of the first order. He was one of the most original and versatile scientists in history, and we can't hope to touch on all of his activities. So that, that's how it all got started. This guy named Charles Babbage came up with this concept to put a couple honest people in the room, <laughs> shield them from the lies, and then they could say with a straight face, <laughs> they never brought this up. Plausible deniability is the ability of people, typically senior officials in a formal or informal chain of command, to deny knowledge of or responsibility for any damnable actions committed by members of the organization, organization's hierarchy. They may do so because they lack, a, lack or absence of evidence that can confirm their participation, even if they are personally involved in or at least willfully ignorant of the actions. If illegal or otherwise disreputable and unpopular activities become public, high-ranking officials may deny any awareness of such, such acts to insulate themselves and shift the blame onto the agents who carried out the facts, as they are confident that their doubters will be unable to prove otherwise. 
The lack of evidence to the contrary ostensibly makes the denial plausible, credible, but sometimes it makes any accusations often only unactionable. It makes any accusations only unactionable. So yeah, they could they could think you did it all they want, but if you've got a good way to deny it, well, there you go, right? The term typically implies forethought. Yeah, I bet it does. Such as intentionally setting up the conditions for the possible avoidance of responsibility for one's future actions or knowledge. In some organizations, legal doctrines such as command responsibility exist to hold major parties responsible for the actions of subordinates. Well, I, I, I would encourage you to show me some companies that actually have it written in their legal doctrines that the people at the top take responsibility because corporate structures are all about blaming somebody for something, right? And that has to do with blaming people is really the same thing as this denying stuff, right? Um, in politics and espionage, deniability refers to the ability of a powerful player or intelligence agency to pass the buck and to avoid blowback by secretly arranging for an action to be taken on its behalf by a third party that is ostensibly unconnected with the major player. That is what it is all about. The key concept of plausible deniability is plausibility. It is relatively easy for a government official to issue a blank denial of an action and it is possible to destroy or cover up evidence after the fact that might be sufficient, sufficient to avoid a criminal prosecution, for example. However, the public might well disbelieve the denial, particularly if there is strong circumstantial evidence or if the action is believed to be so unlikely that the only logical explanation is that the denial is false. Well, this is why they have been working to get people busy, busy, busy on social media and getting their brain capabilities down to about two seconds, right? Easier to slice and dice these things. The concept is even more important in espionage. Intelligence may come from many sources, including human sources. The exposure of information to which only a few people are privileged may directly implicate some of the people in the disclosure. As an example, if an official is traveling secretly and only one aide knows a specific travel plans, if the official is assassinated during his travels and the circumstances of the assassination strongly suggest that the assassin had foreknowledge of the official's travel plans, the probable conclusion is that the aide has betrayed the official. There may be no direct evidence linking the aide to the assassin, but collaboration can be inferred from the facts alone, thus making the agent's denial implausible. So some things can become implausible. So it didn't make any sense that only this one agent would know this stuff, right? So anyhow, pretty key tool they use, and now they're getting to the point where um, plausible deniability involves demonstrating that little to no evidence exists to prove the defendant's guilt. And that, in a nutshell, is plausible deniability. What our entire psychopathic structure is, in fact, run by, in my opinion, of course. But just think for yourself. Have you, have you used this technique yourself? <laughs> you don't have to admit to your crimes, but <laughs> just, um, I, I find to be plausible, implausible deniability about stuff. It, it's just too sneaky and involves too many lies for me personally. But it certainly lays to the pattern of all the things that are going on right now. And what is a better thing to be denial about than climate change, right? And all the little words they use. So just think about it. Just think about it. It's how this whole structure is set up. It, nobody can be pinned for anything in the end. And really, frankly, people are, people are okay with not really looking as far as what I can tell. So that's how it works.
Thank you very much for joining me today. I've got a couple of brief things to talk about. Um, what I suggest in order to put all these pieces together is always look for the patterns, right? What's going on around the world? Well, there's droughts all over the place, this inability to find or ship food. Farmers are now in this country, I don't know if I say that 35% of them are plowing over fields. Uh, Texas is in such horrible shape that they're um, sending their cows, cattle to market early, so there will be a slight decrease in beef going on for a while here coming up, so if you're into canning or anything, I would suggest you get busy. Um, so yeah, a lot going on, and it all has to do with, you know, passing on the buck, right? It all has to do with what I've been talking about today. So I hope that you will use this information and maybe explore a little bit about it on your own. What I found is this, because I talked about the Ramsey case just in passing, because, well, I obviously didn't talk about the specifics of it for years, because, you know, I wasn't exactly doing something legal. <laughs> but um, here's, here's what happened, was that... Um, when you get engaged in these things, um, you know, being tricky and lying and using their behaviors, right? Because I was, in fact, lying. I tricked them into giving me their information, so then I was able to figure out who they were. I was also able to find somebody to get me the information, who I just left off the details of why I wanted the information. And, uh, you know, then it kind of exploded on me because what happened was, was that um, everybody figured out that it was me for a lot of other reasons, and so I became the most spam person on the entire forum, and people all thought that I was some genius computer hacker and that I couldn't be trusted. So basically the Ramses were able to turn it all around on me, and they convinced everybody else there that who I had known and been conversing with, because this was a big deal. The Ramsey case was really the first online case on the Internet. Right? Obviously I had no clue it was a CIA operation at the time, but anyway, so yeah, so everybody knew that it was me, so basically nobody trusted me for a long time because they thought that I might hack into their computer. Well, if you've listened to me for any amount of time, I'm not a computer hacker. I just was curious who they were. And yeah, so I had to set up different things so that I wouldn't get caught, right? So yeah, I use this technique myself, but it, these things can really start to um, become complicated. That's why they can eventually get caught. Because what happened was it turned everybody against me, and so then the Ramses were able to convince everybody that I was a problem, not them. So in the end, um, the people that thought it was me understood that it wasn't me, that it was, in fact, the Ramses. But for a long time, they got everybody in the entire forum convinced that I was some computer hacker. It was the old divide and conquer. So it created a lot of um, different things. So we actually, um, you know, they were trying to hide from me and these other people, and they went over to a chat room, and they were chatting about stuff, and we were in the chat room with them recording what they were doing. So, yeah, we were engaging in a lot of, um, well, under, to detect, I looked at them as detective-type motives at the time, right? But they were, they were on the edge of the line, right? But I also was smart enough to know that it was early on, it was the early 90s, and there really weren't any laws about some of the stuff that I was engaging in. So yeah, so it turned around on me, and then for the longest time, it took a lot of my time because um, they also got other people to try to investigate me, <laughs> and so, yeah, so they, they, they then tried to turn my tricks around on me and trick me into exposing my IP address, so yeah, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how IP addresses work. I also learned that it's pretty complicated when you get involved in these activities because, you know, I had two other people involved directly with me into the actual hacking part, so I had to keep these people off to one section over here, right? So I never really totally engaged exactly what they were up to because I just put it on a need-to-know basis, figuring the least I know, the better off I was, right? So... Yeah, but I did meet with them once in person, and I did go over all the stuff that they had done, but I kept my hands very clean, right, because I knew that if anybody came looking for me, then, well, they'd have to get through me to get to the other people, and I'm not a rat. So, yeah, I would have to say that one thing I learned from using this deniable stuff is that it creates a big web of deception, and I don't know. I just don't understand people's ability to turn on other people all for the effort of money. I just do not understand that at all. It completely um, 
it just it just baffles my mind. Okay, it baffles my mind the horror that people put other people through over money, and it also becomes more and more clear to me that there's not that many of them. Okay, they have a pretty evil structure at the top, and it's taken the compliance of a lot of other people. That's why I've been working on this theory about the others. What has it taken to pull all this off and get everybody going in so many circles that they can actually deny this stuff and people really aren't the wiser? I mean, look how long the CIA has been running around doing coups in countries, murdering leaders, doing things that they didn't like. And, you know, and how could people in this country, unless they were denying this stuff, how could they sit down at night and actually think that this was a decent place to be? This is the evil empire here we're looking at, okay? And it's it just it becomes more and more alarming to me how they pulled this off simply because of money and the cooperation of a lot of other people to turn on the rest of us. So, yeah, it, it's a pretty sad look at life, if you ask me, because um, not that many of them. And they've been able to pull all this off because they got us to stop thinking about our instincts. They were using powers that we all have, but we... You know, we all have these powers, okay, but I believe, and I believe and think, okay, that part of the deal when we come here or came here for this event that's going on, end of the world or whatever, however you want to call it, I believe that we came without full knowledge of what our exact powers are, right? So it was very easy for them to trick us because we thought we didn't have any powers. So we eventually... We gave up our power and we gave up our instincts to a bunch of psychopaths who then used money and other people who should have been supporting other people into actually behaving like the psychopaths in charge. So yeah, it's a pretty, pretty interesting thing. So anyway, be safe out there. Goodbye for now.
My name is Achi. I'm from Nigeria. I am the producer of the show. We would like to take this time out to thank you for your continued listenership and support towards the show. However, this past couple of months, it's been increasingly difficult to produce the show. We would like to solicit for your support so as to keep the show running. Please consider any kind of donation you can make, big or small. We would appreciate anything that you offer. The donation link can be found on the website. Thank you. 